Welcome to Pacific Northwest Coffee and Conversation, a bi-weekly podcast where we speak with leaders in the Pacific Northwest fighting hate and advancing social justice. I'm Mary Cypers, Regional Director of ADL Pacific Northwest. In this episode, I have the joy of speaking with Senator Twana Nobles, Washington State Senator and President and CEO of the Tacoma Urban League. Welcome, Senator Nobles, to today's show. Let's get started. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Senator Nobles, for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. I would love to jump in and learn more about your early life. What were some of the experiences or influential people who shaped you from a young age? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I share with people all the time my background and my parents served in a military. I was born in Germany, but got to experience being a military brat. I also spent time once we left Germany, we spent time in California at Fort Ord and then eventually got stationed down at Fort Benning in the South. That's in Fort Benning's in Georgia. And after that time, we experienced more instability. And so we ended up experiencing homelessness and foster care. And it's those experiences that really helped to shape me and help me to understand the needs and challenges of not just our family, but of many community members. It helped me to understand what actually happens when you live in a shelter and a dormitory or when you have individual rooms or when you live in a battered woman's shelter or what it's like to experience a family member struggling with an addiction. So it gave me just really real perspective and empathy. And it was some of those people that I met along the way who really influenced me In particular, one of the women who owned the shelter we lived in 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 Phoenix City, she kind of took me under her wing as so many Black women have done, but I got to learn what it meant to be an entrepreneur and just be up close and personal. I spent a lot of time in her office and volunteering in the front office and started doing intake of other people who were coming to live in the shelter, but I learned administrative skills and leadership skills And she allowed me to do room checks to make sure folks had done their chores and completed their checklist of making their beds and organizing their rooms as we had to do each day. But it really influenced my ability to lead and work with others and be a good example and welcome folks into a new environment. It really taught me those strong administrative skills that I have today, but I also could see myself being in a corner office with a large wood desk because I got to see her do so. And then when we experienced foster care, that's where I was introduced to being an elected official. My foster father was a pastor, but also had been a former city council member. And obviously as a senator and school board director, being introduced to an elected official really influenced my desire to want to serve my community in that way. And both of my parents served in the military, and I have so much respect for military families and and for the work of our service members and veterans. But I also was a military spouse for about 16 years. And in fact, all of my kids still go to Madigan for their appointments. But I think understanding even the needs of our military community and being a young family with a service member that was a private or E1. We were so broke. Oh my God. But it helped me to understand what it's like to move up as you're promoted. But those humble, beginnings I would I'll never forget and when I do work now in the community to advocate for veterans I just I have those experiences to lean on and really give me great perspective well it's amazing that some of the people who helped shape your life and develop a sense of resilience and strength and leadership within you despite some of the challenging circumstances 
that you navigated. You talked a little bit about having interacted and and been close with someone who was an elected official. When you were in the foster care system and, and first kind of learned about the concept of public service, I guess, first through your own family with military service and then through actually running for office, what was your own journey towards serving in nonprofits and then towards the legislature? Yeah, and definitely I would say not only did my service develop and seeing my my parents serve this country, but early on I had to be responsible for my brothers and be a caretaker for them. And so I, I learned to serve in my own household and serve those around me and make sure that their needs are met. I had to advocate for them and find food for my brothers, especially once our family was experiencing addiction. I volunteered, as I mentioned, at the homeless shelter we lived in. I volunteered at local boys and girls clubs and that that shelter was a nonprofit. And that that really was my introduction to nonprofit service. And I could see myself as that woman. Like I literally, when I was a child, when I was younger, could see myself in that office and see myself leading in my community in the ways that I get to show up today. And I just feel very grateful to have had that vision and that focus but I usually know things are meant for me and will be a part of my journey because I can see them so clearly for myself. And I tell myself, I don't think this is for me. If I, I can't see it, I don't see myself there. And now how I get there, those things are very <laughs> divine and, and I can't plan out every detail. But I think once I finished college and started working, even when I became a teacher, my first longer teaching job was for a nonprofit. When I was invited to become the leader of the Tacoma Urban League, I had already been working as a consultant with that organization in multiple capacities. But I think knowing that there are nonprofit organizations that are helping to solve real problems of community left a really deep impression in and on me. And I wanted to be a part of that and to be invited to be a CEO. I will say when I first got that call, I said, let me think about it. But when I hung up the phone, I was like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> and then I think I mentioned that my foster father was an elected official, but I made up my mind that I wanted to go to college and study politics and government. Some of my favorite classes in high school were around social studies and civics um, and government. I started working on campaigns and gaining experience and attending different classes and trainings on running for office. But there were lots of steps that I took on on my way to leading a nonprofit into becoming an elected official. And while it wasn't a nonprofit business, it was for profit. I launched my own company back in the day called Ladies First, where I mentored and served women and girls and helped to build their confidence and self-esteem. So there are just so many things along my journey that where either I saw myself as a leader or other people because of the work I was doing saw me as a leader, but at the heart of it has definitely been serving others and seeing this world and my community and my home as being way larger than just me. And can you tell us more about your work as the president and CEO of the Tacoma Urban League? I think a lot of people might know of the Urban League as this long and storied and wonderful organization that does so much to serve people of color and especially the African-American community. But what are some of the major initiatives and, and issues that you're working on in, in today's Urban League? 
Yeah, well, it's such an honor to be the president and CEO of a historical social justice and civil rights organization like the Tacoma Urban League. And we are one of 90 affiliates across this country. And we're lucky in Washington because we have two affiliates. There's also the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle. And I tell people all the time, we all have similar missions of helping to empower the Black and African-American community through programs and services around housing, healthcare, education, and employment or jobs. How we do it at each Urban League looks very different. We have a a national Urban League, which is our, our main office, our main affiliate. But some of us, like Tacoma Urban League, I have six staff. And our budget is just a little under a million dollars as of, you know, this this year. We'll see see next year. There'll be some growth. But then you have the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle and they have 70 staff and a multi-million dollar <laughs> budget. I think they're in like the double digits for sure. So each Urban League in their capacity to serve their city or their county is going to vary based on the number of staff. There's one urban league that I think has like 0.5 staff, but we we all want to make sure that we are advancing the needs of the Black and African American community. And people always ask, do you only serve Black folks? We all serve anyone who walks through our doors. And in fact, urban leagues, just like the civil rights movement, have always been diverse. (laughs) It takes more than just Black folks to meet the needs of Black folks, to solve the problems of Black folks, especially the problems that we did not create. We need those allies and co-conspirators and folks who have been a part of causing those problems to be a part of finding the solutions. But we want to, we, we do want to make sure that that work still gets to be by and for us. It's just a, a joy and a, a pleasure to be able to do the work at Tacoma Urban League. And, and I'll say one more thing. Some of our programs are first time home buyers class, our moms and babies of color support group that we call being in the village. We have mentorship programs for youth, like our male involvement program that's in four schools in Tacoma. And we have a paid mentor who is in those schools working with young men, primarily young men of color. And we have a, a new position we started uh, last year called our small business support navigator, helping black owned small businesses and, and other small businesses owned by people of color primarily to grow or launch their business. So our work is is broad and fun. And I really just commend my staff and my board for working with me to help to achieve our mission. And in addition to obviously what's a really big and important role at the Tacoma Urban League, you are also serving in the Washington State Senate as the first Black woman to serve in over a decade. And I also read the second to ever serve, which is, I mean, what an honor and an accomplishment. Does this kind of history influence your leadership? How does it, how do you take it into account and balance it with all that you have to do from day to day? Well, I'm definitely still, still taking it into account and it absolutely influences my leadership and impacts my leadership because I've become a part of Washington state history because people are watching. And when we say things like only the small number of black people have achieved this, it's a lot of pressure to make sure that I'm being a really good example, that I'm inspiring far more people to take the leap. And so that there are only two black women who have ever done this, but there will be dozens and hundreds at some point But I think it gives me a a legacy to walk in, a legacy that I want to take care of and to know that the first Black woman, we're not talking about a deceased member of the Senate. We're talking about a living, breathing, walking legacy and Senator Rosa Franklin, who I have met numerous times and have established my own relationship and 
when I decided to run for school board and when I decided to run for state Senate, she was one of the first people that I called to ask for support and to periodically check in with. But I I just want to be responsible with that legacy. I want to hold myself accountable and want others to hold me accountable for doing what I said I would do on the campaign trail. I can't represent every Black person, but there are people (laughs) who are not in my district who let me know that I am for sure their senator, you know, whatever their race or ethnicity is. So I just want to make sure that how I carry myself makes myself proud, makes my community proud. And if I'm going to be the second or the first ever that I truly walk in that that legacy with respect, with dignity, with honesty, and a commitment to continue serving others. So it doesn't go to my head. And I don't think I've done anything super special or unique. I just feel tremendously privileged and honored. And for all the many years to come, people will be able to look at photos in our Washington state capital and will be able to know that I served there. My children will forever know that our family has contributed in this way, their children and and grandchildren. So I'm just still wrapping my head around like what all this means, but it feels very, very special to me every single day. What kind of issues are you focusing on and prioritizing? There's so much to be done and the Urban League does so much and there's so many, I don't know, huge issues in society right now. How do you prioritize and what are you caring about the most through your work in the Washington Senate? Yeah, thankfully, we get to vote on a variety of issues. But to keep me focused, I serve on four committees. And that's where I spend the majority of my time in the in the legislature. So I serve on two education committees, one that focuses on early education to 12th grade, and the other one is focused on higher education. So I get to work a lot on education issues. I also serve on a behavioral health subcommittee. And so I get to focus on issues that impact our behavioral and and mental health here in Washington State. I'm fortunate enough also in my district to have Western State Hospital in my district. And then I'm on a transportation committee and access to transit and transportation options and making sure that folks can move across Washington State in the many different ways that we can utilize transportation from ferries to bikes to safe sidewalks for us to walk or folks who want to drive and all the many options to do that in in ways that we reduce emissions. It's just really great to learn more about the transportation needs and ways that we can expand access to transportation and transit and make improvements. So those committees really keep me focused on the types of issues that I work on, but we can pass any sort of legislation we want. But my legislation that I passed this year focused on educational needs, behavioral health needs, and some fun stuff like outdoor and recreation as well. But yeah, hopefully that that answered that question. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that you are a woman who wears a lot of hats, a mom, a legislator, a president and CEO of a really amazing nonprofit. I don't know quite how you do it, but I know it. I'm sure it takes a lot of work. But another really interesting venture that I know you were really instrumental in founding after the murder of George Floyd in the huge national racial reckoning that happened last summer was the founding of the Black Future Co-op Fund. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you decided to focus your leadership and efforts on the issue of philanthropy? Absolutely. Well, I don't know if listeners are ready to hear this, but I have been asking people for money for a very long time. And it started with one of my parents. The greatest joy of a nonprofit executive. (laughs) 
Yes, but it is a joy for me, but it, it started in a very dishonest way. But my mom would have us knock on doors. She struggled with an addiction. And when we would have no money, she would have us knock on doors and tell strangers that we were with a particular organization or a church and we were collecting donations, all false. And I was, again, an elementary school child and being coached to do this. So I just would knock on doors and run that story by people and ask them for money. And they would give us, my brothers and me, they would give us money. And I think at that early age, I just became comfortable telling a story at that time, the story, I mean, we were struggling, but we weren't representing a church or a nonprofit. So I just became comfortable sharing a story, having people empathize, and then being willing to contribute. And I tell people all the time who have backgrounds and stories like mine, where maybe we learn behaviors or habits that were used in a very negative or illegal way, that it doesn't make us bad people. But if we can just flip those hustles into a way that is positive and helping community, if you're a good salesperson, if you you have a good hustle, it's not going to work if you're slanging things that are illegal. You're always going to be on a run and finding yourself just or could find yourself in, in serious trouble. But if you take those same skills to be, in my case, to be able to share a story about what's happening in our community, what's happening for people. And in the case of the Black Future Co-op Fund, where we we focus on raising money for the Black community and then reinvesting that money in the, in the Black community, because who best to determine what the needs are of the Black community than the Black community? Not us, not the four co-founders of the Black Future Co-op Fund, but the Black community. And so... I just have taken those skills of just asking people for money and I have raised a lot of money for different causes that I've been a part of and for the campaigns that I have run and I've raised a, a lot of money for Tacoma Urban League. And so I know that we need those funds. I mean, we've been asking for reparations for so long. And if we're, as we say in the Black Future Co-op Fund, going to build Black generational wealth, health and well-being, we need people to step up and make the investments for us to do so. We want to raise money and we need to get that money to the Black community members who are leading programs that are real solutions and that will help to ignite that Black generational wealth, health, and, and well-being. So it is like the fun work, like my work at Tacoma Urban League. It, it does not feel like work, like to know that we really are creating change by disrupting this imbalance of power by saying, hey, you have a whole lot of resources. You have a whole lot of, of money, of, of capital in other ways. And we are out here seeking and searching for Black-led organizations, Black-led programs, and we want to make the direct connection. And so, and it's not just a fundraising piece. We also want to make sure that we're building relationship, that we're creating low barrier access to funds. We have a partnership with Bank of America where they invested $500,000 to help for-profit businesses. And so they've paired them with the student that's at UW Foster School of Business, and they're helping that business owner to fine-tune some of those, those business skills. So it's more than just raising money and re-granting. We have a lot of research going on. We have a survey on our website, our Black Wellbeing survey that we're asking everyone to please take that survey to, to help us to understand the needs of the Black community across Washington State. But we're the, the first fund of our, of our kind, the, the first Black-owned philanthropy in Washington State and the only at this time. So if, if folks want to learn more about us too, they can go to blackfuturewall.org to learn more about our work. That's perfect. And we will definitely uplift that. Thank Let's you. end. I know you have a lot to do today. 
One last question. What is one thing that's currently bringing you hope for a better world or even perhaps a better local community? What inspires you? My children. When I think about, my daughter just posted about white privilege on her Instagram the other day. And I was in college, maybe graduate school before I could wrap my head around white privilege. I grew up in the South and and had a very strong Black upbringing. I felt very confident in who I was as a Black person. And being Black in different parts of the country is very different, even though you're still Black in America. But I just could not wrap my head around like someone telling me on the campus of University of Puget Sound that white people, because of the color of their skin, had more privilege. And I'm like, you got to be crazy. All that I have been taught my entire life is that I'm a queen. I can do anything I want to do because I'm black. I'm excellent. Like I just, I'm like, there is no way that just because someone is white. And so it really took me some time to wrap my head around, like, no, literally. And I being shown these examples of like white woman with four kids, black woman with four kids, ask people, who do you think is the welfare queen? They're going to be like, oh, the black woman, you know, white person, black person, a crime was committed. Who do you think committed? And so it took, it took a lot of examples for me to be like, that's what you mean. And so to see my daughter at 15, she gets it. She was posting about what is the, is it the written house? I forget the young man's name, but they're just so aware and they're so kind and they're so smart and so sweet. And I think I don't have to look far to feel very hopeful for a better world. My kids are way better human beings at a far earlier age than I could have ever dreamed of being. And so I love them and I'm proud of them, but it just makes me feel like this world is going to be a better place because the next generation is on it. They're loving (laughs) advocating. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your leadership and inspiration and all the amazing ways that you're working to make our community better and wishing you a wonderful day. Thank you. And thank you for all the work with ADL as well. And it was great to spend this time with you. You too. Thank you. You take care. 